0: Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. So thank you, uh, Michael, for giving, us a pulpit, this, giving me your pulpit this morning. And uh, I'm going to be speaking about Luke chapter 6. Verses 35 to 42. This is rather a very difficult passage. If I knew this is the passage I'm going to be talking about, I would have declined it. (laughs) Um, And I at least take two weeks. That's when I start uh, reading the scriptures and slowly start preparing. But sad to say, I only started on Tuesday. (laughs) This is the first time I have, I don't know when I did this. So, it's going to be not going to be a bad sermon. Uh, it's going to be a bad sermon. Yes. But I'm happy about it because it says, judge not. Yes. So, you're not going to judge me. And then it says, condemn not. This guy came all the way from India. What did he do? Condemn not. You will be condemned. <laughs> Forgive. Third one. Forgive me. And then it says, fourthly, lastly, give. Don't stop giving to me, because it's a bad sermon. You got it? Okay, let's move on. I was, uh, I was preaching in my church um, uh, last week in India. I preached uh, in my church about Jesus cleansing the temple. A week prior to that, I preached on Jesus cursing the fig tree, which is symbolizing the nation of Israel. God is removing the nation of Israel. This happened Monday, right after the Palm Sunday. So I was taking my church through it after the resurrection, some of the events. Why God selected the church instead of Israel. And what is our responsibility? If we don't do our job, God may remove us. And then we talked about the cleansing of the temple. That it is no longer the temple that is important. Everybody that worship Jesus must worship in spirit and truth. And God took the temple off. We are the temple of the living God. Praise God for that. And my whole focus was on that, so I could not take time to do. So then I came to Seattle with my daughter's family and two grandkids, six and three. You don't want to prepare a message when you see them after a long time. So that is the delay of it. However, no excuse, but we will do our best. This is the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached. As soon as Jesus selected the disciples, he preached this sermon, Sermon on the Mount. This is a sermon. So if this sermon is bad, it's the sermon that I'm preaching that Jesus preached, so you can't blame me for that. (laughs) This is a sermon that Jesus preached, the first sermon, and he wanted his disciples and his followers to follow whatever is written in this sermon, in other words, Jesus is looking at the life in a different perspective than the normal life that the people were living at the time. There were many people that were following Jesus for many reasons. There were 12 disciples and there are other disciples that were closely following him by giving their hearts. But there are hundreds of people and thousands of people that were following him, but probably they did not understand what Jesus was preaching. Verses 37 to 42 from Luke's gospel chapter 6, which also is there in Matthew's gospel chapter 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount, especially chapter 7, we find these verses. Deals with the very heart of the discipleship and true Christianity from the inside out. Let me make my statement very clear. Luke chapter 6, verses 37 to 42, deals with the very heart of discipleship. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, these are the words that you stick with. And uh, a true Christianity from inside out. I'm not saying, not the present Probe, the previous Pope said, if you follow these verses, you will enter into heaven. I'm not saying that. That's a wrong doctrine, by the way. We are saved by grace. We enter into heaven by grace when we accept the salvation that Jesus gives us freely. And once you're saved, as a Christian, you practice these things in order to prove yourself to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ and make a distinction in the world. That clear? Okay, the doctrine is set, and now we will move forward. Now, in all these sections, Jesus was talking, condemning one thing. is not approving the lifestyle of that day but also he's bringing out the new lifestyle. So my focus this morning is not what Jesus is leaving, but what Jesus is focusing. That is how my outline is pictured because that will be our focus. While I will be explaining what Jesus is not approving, but my focus will be on what Jesus wants us to focus. The theme this morning is called to be different. Every disciple of Jesus Christ is called to be a different person. When our lifestyle is different from the world, or contrary to the standards of the world, literally we are agreeing with Peter to the thought that we are aliens in the world. We live in the world, but we live as aliens, because our standard of life does not cooperate with the standard of the life. They look at us and say, you're different, you're crazy, you're alien. Yes, we are. Because this is to which Jesus called us. We are aliens in the world. We live in the world, engage in the world, but we are distinct people. Three things that I would like to talk to you this morning. Life is fair. 37 to 38. Some of you don't agree with it. Let's prove it. Verses 39 to 40. True guides. The last two verses. 41 to 42. Self-examination. Let me talk to you about the three things once again. Life is fair. True guides. Self-examination. Let's look into the first one. Verses 37 to 38. Life is fair. Some of us, when we hear this statement, we say, life is not fair. We always think about that person is not good, he cheated me, that person is this, he did this to me, and we think about it and we ponder about it much. But I want to tell you, life is fair. There are four striking thoughts that Jesus brings out of these these few verses, which I have already told you, judge, condemn, forgive and give. You got it? Don't judge, don't condemn, two negative things, and two positive things, forgiveness, and also giving. But in reality, all these four things, there are two negative things, and there are two positive things, all are the same. It a judge not, so that you will not be judged. Condemn not, you will not be condemned. But these two positive things also come up with the same instruction. Forgive so that you will be forgiven. Give so that you will be given. So there's not much difference between the four. We judge. We condemn people. Let's go to the first section. Jesus is what is judging. Should we judge somebody? This is a lot of times people that are in sin. Either Christians or non-Christians use. They say Bible tells not to judge. Therefore, you should not judge. Well, this has got two clear instructions. Number one, when Jesus says, Judge not, he calls us, yes, we need to judge on certain things. Because Jesus judged the, the Pharisees and he condemned the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day. We judge, and there are times we do not judge. How do we make a distinction of it? How do we make a distinction of it? We judge. When it is time when a person is in sin, we go to that brother and we judge and we try to correct that person. The idea there is not to judge him to the condemnation, but to restore him. It is also in the matters of church discipline, when it comes to the church, the leadership needs to do that. That's a right judgment. We are not judging a person to condemn, not to talk about that person. Jesus, in his three and a half years of ministry, he condemned many Jewish religious leaders. And he called them with outright names, hypocrites. And there are times we are not to judge. Our, na- our normal attitude is that we, we are judgmental. know, we always think about it, say, I am better than you, and we judge others. We place ourselves better than others. And we try to condemn the other people. The best example can be seen practically is from the life of King David. Do you remember when King David has committed sin? Has committed adultery and also killing? And he forgot about his own sin. He covered it up. And then comes Prophet Nathan. He gives a good example. Somebody has only one sheep. A rich man has a hundred sheep. But he left his hundred sheep when a guest came. And he kills. He gets the man who has, the poor man who has only one sheep. And then he kills and gives good food to his guest. And David looks at him and said, that man surely needs to die. Nathan looked at him and said, you are the man. You are the man. You are the man. Therefore, when judging others, we forget about our own our own sin in us. There are some people who think their opinion is the only right opinion. And they judge others and they condemn others. In judging, we should be bold enough in matters of correcting our brother for the restoration. This is not, we are not to back up. It can be leadership or it can be an individual. But our attitude, our sinful attitude is that we want to be judgmental. We want to correct always because we think we are self righteous. We are better than others, forgetting our own style, our own life. If this could happen to King David, a man who truly walked, who is a man after God's own heart, this could happen to each of us. Let's not be blinded about it. Let's go to condemnation. This is in relation to the judgment, condemnation. So once you form an opinion about somebody, you judge the man, then immediately you and I go and condemn the person. See that? When I think about that person, he's not doing that good, he's not always doing bad, and immediately my mind goes and says, we condemn that man, it's done, Is has gone. Are there people in our mind right now? Uh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just skipping through because of the time. Are there people in our mind right now Whom we have condemned And see that there is No place for grace For that person in my life You See that For that person in my life uh, Automatically our mind goes As we were singing And as he was leading us into confession I was in prayer And uh, automatically My mind went somewhere this morning What I did when I was brushing my teeth I didn't even notice it I was thinking about a person. Somebody that is close to me but did a mistake. I was thinking about a person. I was thinking, man, I should have an opportunity to condemn that man. I did not know that until the Lord revealed it just a while ago. I was preparing the message, but this is so natural to us. I'm being judgmental. Yes, he did a mistake, but I'm condemning. Automatically it is gone. I didn't even notice it because we are judgmental. We forget about it. And then, do we have people that we need to show grace instead of condemning today? And then Jesus comes and tells, Forgive and give. There are two imperatives that emphasize forgiving and giving, are seen as actions that are to be done continuously. You go on forgive, you go on give, because it's based on the life of Jesus towards us. Jesus is forgiving us continuously, although we do not deserve it. Jesus is giving us and blessing us continuously, although we do not deserve it. Because we are called to be the disciples, we are called to be distinct people, we need to forgive. As Jesus forgives us, how can we pray that prayer, Lord's prayer? Lord, forgive our sins as we have forgiven. So we are praying that prayer, but we're not really following it up. And that's what he says here, forgiveness. Stop resentment, displeasure for wrongs and offenses. It's after forgiving. Make sure to you give. Give people. You forgive somebody that doesn't deserve. And then you give something to somebody. It's freely transferring the positions. Now we see the connection between all the four things. There is a person in our life whom we judge is not the right person. Whom we condemn. We form the opinion and we condemn. Once the condemnation is over in my mind, then I don't look at that person. I say, you deserve it. But Jesus says reverses it and says, forgive that person. He doesn't deserve the forgiveness, but forgive him because that is what I have done in your life. I have extended my grace to you in that way. Not only I forgave, not only I have been forgiving continuously, I'm giving. I gave myself and I'm giving you because you have sinned, I have not stopped blessing you. That's very hard. Very hard. But that's what we are. God forgives us, forgives us, and forgives us. One day everything will vanish from this world. But only Christ's godlike character will last for eternity. Now, all these four things can be best explained by one parable that Jesus said. From Matthew chapter 18, 21 to 35. A king settling his accounts with his servants. You recall that? He called the servants. He called one who owed him a lot of money. I don't want to expose that scripture, but a lot of money. One interpreter said, billions worth of money. And he fell down at his feet and said, Please forgive me. Yes, I owe it to you. Yes. And the king said, put him in the prison. He judged him, condemned him, put him in the prison. Then he he fell at his feet and said, have mercy on me. Give me some time. And the king said, that's okay. You don't need to give. I take off judgment. I take off condemnation. I forgive you. And also I give you all the money, all that money you owed me. Go, you're free. Go, you're free. That's you and me. And then this servant, servant number one, goes to his subordinate servant, servant number two, king forgave servant number one billions of dollars worth of money and this servant who had received all freely goes to another servant who from whom he borrowed the money who borrowed the money from the first servant a little money maybe ten thousand dollars and then he said give me pay me my money and the man said i don't have give me some time no and they put him in the prison judge him condemned him Locked him up in the prison, didn't forgive, didn't give. One of the servants of the king told what the first servant did, he called the first servant. You see the implication of it, you see how it goes? You judge and you condemn. You forgive, you're not forgiving. I'm giving you but you're not giving. Called the first servant and said, this is what I have done, billions of dollars worth of money freely. I forgave you, gave you, I didn't judge you, I didn't condemn you, I gave you full of grace, you're debt free. But you did too, one of your servants, to a little money. And therefore he called and said, put him back in the prison. Think about it. Isn't it not true that if we judge, God will judge us in some way. If we condemn some people, God will not condemn us. If we don't forgive others, how would God forgive us? If you don't give others people who do not deserve, who do not deserve. Maybe you have somebody right now you're you're thinking. "Who, who Who is your enemy whom you have not forgiven? Maybe call him up and say, let's go for dinner. He'll be surprised and shocked. Because we are called to be different. That's what exactly Jesus does to each of us. Let's move on to the second thing. Verses 39. To 40 true guides Jesus called us to have these four qualities and then he says you be true guides a guide is somebody that leads another person into the truth that he does not know now while explaining about the true guides he's also exposing the false guides and Jesus calls them blind guides he says a blind person leads another person Into the ditch, another blind person into the ditch. This is a proverb that was existent in those days. And it's a proverb that is existence in our languages, in our culture, too. A blind person will not lead another blind person, they both fall into the ditch. So he's looking at the religious leaders of that day, but my focus will be what Jesus wants his disciples to be. He didn't want them to be blind guides. But while he exposes them, they expose. Uh, the way that he exposes is that the blind people that they are not looking at their own faults Are not looking at their own faults. who are the Pharisees and the scribes the Pharisees are the teachers of the law They are preachers scribes are the interpreters of the law. They were the religious people of that day Jesus called the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day They were supposed to be leading the people into the truth But but they have failed to do it because they are blinded to see themselves as they are Why people are blinded? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23 verses 23 and 24, O to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, the religious leaders. The religious leaders of the church today are not much distinct. Because we have wrong doctrine. We practice wrong things. You hypocrites, you gave tenth of your spices mint, dill and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the farmer, you blind guides. And the worst goes on. See that there is a form of religion. They were practicing all these things. But Jesus said, while you practice these things, you have neglected the most important things, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You're not forgiving people there is no mercy there is no faithfulness you think you're religious but you're not we are blinded to our faults at least for at least by two primary reasons one self justification i always want to justify myself that's my nature i don't know about you but that's my nature i can't speak about you i think that's our nature Always, in the self-justification, I always put myself above others, thinking I am better than you. Did you ever think that way? I think that way I'm better than you. Even when others point out to my faults, I reject them, say I'm not like that. Self-righteousness, self-justification. And my second problem is, Why I became, why people become blind guides is self-examination. We don't examine ourselves. Even when somebody that is close to us, either our spouse or somebody, a staff member tells us that you're wrong at this, we take objection to that. We say, no, I am not. You're telling, having something in your mind. Therefore, you have become blind guides. And Jesus says, "If you don't want to be a blind guide, I want you to be a true guide. This is what you need to do. You need to examine yourself, self-examination, and never put yourself up, justify yourself, humble yourself. And says you need to be true guides, and I'm here to train you as true as true guides. How do we become true guides? He tells you in verse 40. You need to be trained." And fully trained. See this? Jesus wants to train these disciples to be true guides. And he wants to train them fully. How am I fully trained? It's an ongoing thing. Because when I get my theological degree, I'm not fully trained. That's the beginning of the training. Because you have lived 50 years of Christian life, that doesn't mean that you're fully trained. You're learning things still. It's a process. Fully trained. Fully trained. A fully trained person will be like his teacher, Jesus, every time listen to him. His disciples are trained to be true guides and being fully trained is a lifelong process. There are three ways you and I can be fully trained. If you want to be a true guide pointing people to Jesus Christ we got to follow three things. Number one, we must Be always willing to listen to God. (laughs) Have you listened to God this morning? Second, one who is willing to put himself and herself into self-examination. Always self-examination. That's what Paul said when he was writing a letter to the Corinthians at the Lord's supper. Always examine yourself. You are the better examiner for yourself. Especially when somebody tells you, make sure you examine that. And number three, willing to listen to others and willing to be corrected. Willing to listen to others. Are you willing to listen to others? You always say, no, I know about myself, don't tell me. When we say that, we are thinking that person as much more lawyer than us. But God can speak to us through anybody. Not only through higher people, but through lawyer people. Through servants. See that? Anybody. God's word may come from many forms. See that? Not necessarily a pastor all the time. It can be your spouse, it can be your child, or it can be your subordinate, or anybody. So, if you follow these three things, we will be true guides. How do you find your own faults? Which you don't see them. You can't see them. I can't see my own fault, but how do I see them? The best way is to listen to somebody close to you. One who sees you more. Fully trained. Means always willing to be corrected. See, Paul was willing to be corrected by Barnabas. You remember? Paul was a greater apostle. But he listened to his subordinate. Barnabas said, Paul, what you're doing is wrong about John Mark. Let's take him. He listened to him. That's fully trained. Peter was willing to be corrected by Paul, who became an apostle later. Peter, what you're doing is not right when he's eating with the Gentiles. He went away. And Paul said, that's not right, Peter. And he was willing. No matter how a big person you are, how gent you are, how strong theologically you are, no matter how long you have been in the ministry, I want to tell you that be willing to, make sure you are willing to listen to others' advices. Not only the people higher than you, lower than you. Are you a true guide? Is your lifestyle leading people to Christ? A true guide in the sense, a true guide is the one by the lifestyle, by not judging, by not condemning, by forgiving, by giving, people will be led to Christ through our life. That's why we are called to be different. We're called to be different. Let me go to my third point. 41 to 42. Jesus beautifully said, he looked at the people and said, the religious leaders of that day, who were willing to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye while you have a log in your own eye. I call it self-examination. The religious leaders of that day were hypocritical. The blind guides were hypocritical. Why do you see the speck on others? And you don't notice the log in your own eye. And the way they do, there are three words that are used here. I'm not going to excis it now. They say they see. What do they see? They see the speck. But you have a log in your own eye. That means you're being bothered see, so if you have a log in your eye, you, have a, you must have some eye pain. But you're not bothered by it. Because you're self-justified. You're better than others. You're a self-righteous person. But you see other speck in somebody's eye. Not only you see the speck and you say something about it. You see, you say, take action. There are, these are the three words that are used here. You see the speck. In somebody's eye. And you say to that person. What do you say? Hey brother. How come you have a speck in your eye? Look at me. I see a log in your eye. No don't talk about it. Oh I'm going to operate it. I'm going to do a surgery. How can an eye doctor. Ophthalmologist. When he has a log. Would you like to go and have your eye surgery done through him? Because he can't see. See that? Can't do that. I'll choose another doctor. (laughs) Kent Hughes said, We find it so easy to turn a microscope on another person's sin. But we look at ours through the wrong end of telescope. I like it. We easily spot a speck of phoniness in another. Because we have a logism in our own lives. Wrath towards the speck in someone else's life may come from suppressed guilt over the same massive sin in our life. This allows me to ignore my own log. How much easier it is for me to deal with someone else's sin rather than confronting my own. But Jesus' priorities are clear. I need to recognize my sin first and foremost. Honest examination leads to open confession. Honest examination leads to open confession. Always we need to examine ourselves, which leads us to forgiveness and greater freedom from our sin. Focusing on my friend Speck isn't impolite. It keeps me from enjoying the new life that I had in Christ. Action should begin with us. I need to be honest with myself, and then we can help our brothers. We are called to live distinct, different in the world. <laughs> Crazy, Paul said, "Fools for Christ." Yeah, when you call your enemies and say, "Hey, let's go for lunch," you will be called. But that's the kind of life that asks us and say, "You're a true, you're a true guy." Let me close this as uh, my time is over. Um, with uh, one, of the, one of the striking uh, testimony from the early church. Polycarp, who became a martyr for Jesus Christ, you might have heard, in, uh, in the second century, 160 AD, who was being discipled by John the Apostle. Polycarp, when he was 86 years old, some say 92 years, is pretty old and uh, old. He was asked to renounce the faith. Uh, by Caesar and uh, one of the man chiefs came and said you're an old man and just say one thing deny Christ for now and then you will not be burned to death, that's the punishment they gave him you will not, you're old man you can't take this pain you can't do this and uh, to which Polycarp replied what he said was very 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 striking he said no I can't deny all that the chief asked him was you say Isus Kurios Jesus is the Lord just one time you say Caesar Say, Caesar is the Lord that's all and afterwards you go and do it and he said I can't do that 86 years I have served the Lord and he did me no harm I cannot do that I cannot deny Jesus Kurios Jesus is my Lord Then you're going to be burned to death. You can't take this pain. He said, I'll take this pain. The Lord will help me. I'm called to be distinct." And you know what he did? He took off his own clothes because they want to take him off his clothes. I'll take off my clothes. He took off his own clothes because they they burned him naked. And they put him on the cross. And when they're trying to name him, he said, I'm not going to run away. I will bear the pain of off the flames, I'm not going to run away. You don't need to put me to the, you don't need to nail me down. I will stand here. If you have doubts, tie me up. And they tied him up. They believed, tied him up. They tied him up. And they burned Old man, it's going to be painful to you. And his reply was striking to me. That's why we see how distinct he is. He said, I'm not worried about the flames that I'm going to be burning in for one hour. I'm worried about the flames you're going to be in forever and ever in the hell. Even in the last minute when he was burning. He said, I'm not worried about myself. God will help me to bear through the pain. But I'm worried about you. How are you going to be born forever and ever? That's my worry. He's called to be distinct. So you and I. We are called to be distinct. It's my prayer for each of us this morning. We are called to be different. Judge not. Condemn not. Judge when we ought to for a good purpose. Condemn not. But forgive. Give. Although they do not deserve it. Because Jesus did not judge us as we sang, as we read the word. Jesus did not judge us. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save us, which we have experienced that grace. And he forgave us, and he continued to forgive us every day. And he continued to give us and bless us. He didn't withhold any of his blessings, even when we are at fault. Jesus, we thank you for this wonderful day, for this wonderful text. We are called to be different and help us, Lord, it is only through your Holy Spirit who is our teacher and our guide who will make us completely trained to be true guides so that we can attract the people, direct the people towards you and glorify your name on the earth. Thank you, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are Christ the King Church, For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksnc.com.